Harvest New Beginnings Church is located in Oswego, Illinois. We exist for God's glory alone, encouraging each other to have a deep love for God and a sincere love for people. This message is brought to you by Pastor Scott Poling. Hey, welcome to Harvest New Beginnings Easter Egg Hunt. Now, just to let you know, there are 10 eggs hidden in this worship center. Each egg has a gift card attached to it, either to Panera, Chick-fil-A, Culver's, Oberweiss, and the Easter Bunny's favorite, IHOP. But anyway, that's a whole other thing. On the count of three, everybody can look around you under your chairs. This is no joke. One, two, three. Who are the lucky winners among us? Raise it up if you got one. Let's see it. The catch is I got to go out to lunch with you. No, 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 no. There are literally thousands and thousands and thousands of Easter egg hunts across this country taking place that have just happened as well as coming up. The most famous one is taking place tomorrow, South Lawn of the White House, where about 30,000 adults and children will enjoy an Easter egg hunt as well as all kinds of festivities. The largest ever Easter egg hunt was in 2007, Cypress Gardens, Winter Haven, Florida, or get this, 9,753 kids were unleashed (laughs) to find half a million eggs, 501,000 to be exact. Well, today we're going to be hunting for something. We're going to be hunting for something so much more important than Easter eggs. We're going to go on a hunt for the true meaning of Easter. And it's not always easy to find. Because it's well hidden in our culture. It's well hidden behind baskets and bunnies and jelly beans. It's well hidden behind pretty Easter dresses and pastel colored ties and chocolate. And worst of all, peeps. But that's another story. (laughs) Um, So we're going to go on a hunt this morning. You ready to go for a hunt? We're going to find the true meaning of Easter. Now, in the first service, I said Christmas twice. So if I do that, just scream at me, okay? All right, so, but we're not going to find the true meaning of Easter under chairs. We're not going to find it in in backyards. We're going to find it in our Bibles. So if you have your scriptures with you, a copy of it, we, we dig into the Word of God at our church. It's foundational. So if you don't have it, that's okay. The scripture will be up on the, on the uh, screen as well. But it's going to be found in Matthew. So if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. And we're going to start in verse 1 on our, our hunt for the true meaning of Easter. And we start on the very first day, Easter morning. Now, after the Sabbath, it began to dawn toward the first day of the week. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave, and behold, a severe earthquake had occurred. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow, and the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who has been crucified. Say it with me. He is not here, for he has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he was lying, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead. And behold, he's going ahead of you into Galilee, and there you'll see him. Behold, I've told you. They left the tomb quickly, with fear and great joy, and ran it to report it to his disciples. Behold, Jesus met them, greeted them, 
They came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and take word to my brethren to leave for Galilee, and there they will see me. The hunt for the true meaning of Easter begins in a graveyard as, as we visit a place of death and darkness. That's where Easter starts. It starts in a cemetery. And it starts with a very dark day. The Sabbath has ended. Sabbath is sunset on Friday to sunset on Saturday. And nobody did anything. Nobody went anywhere. No work was permitted. And we know it is still dark because of John's account in John chapter 20. They came early to the tomb while it was still dark. So the very first Easter is a very dark day. And it's a very somber day. The mood is somber. Why? Because nothing has gone as planned. This was supposed to be a time of celebration, and it ended up being an execution. This was, this was supposed to be when the king would be crowned, and he ends up being nailed to a cross. This is a very depressing, down, somber, sad day. And you need to understand, when Jesus died, all their hopes died. They had given up everything to follow Jesus. They loved him. They believed in him. They thought he was the king. And now he's executed as a criminal. And they are leaderless. And now their lives are in danger. So the day is dark. The mood is somber. And the location is very depressing. It's a graveyard. Please understand this. There is nothing bright and cheery about the first Easter. There are no pastel colors, there's no flowers, there's no jelly beans, there's, there's nothing cheery about the first Easter. It's dark, it's discouraging, it's sad, and it's depressing. We're told in verse 1 they've come to a grave. They've come to take care of a dead body. Mark 16 tells us they bought spices to anoint him. In Luke 24, they came to the tomb bringing spices. And you need to understand, this is a dirty job. This first Easter morning is nothing about but a dirty job. They've come in their work clothes, so to speak, denim, in dark, dark clothes. It's a graveyard. Nobody's happy. They've come to take care of a horribly tortured corpse, seeping bodily fluids and blood, partially encrusted and dried on a burial cloth, in a cold, dark tomb. And as far as they can tell, it probably has begun to smell with death and decay. This is where Easter starts. This is where you find the true meaning of Easter. We visit a place of death and darkness. Secondly, we meet some people. We meet the Easter Marys, not the Easter bunnies. We get to meet the Easter Marys is who we get to meet. So it'd be better for you to get pictures taken with the Easter Marys than the Easter bunnies if you want to be biblical. And we got two of them. We got Mary Magdalene and we got the other Mary. And these are ladies whose lives have been changed. And two other accounts tell us there's two other ladies there, Johanna as well as Simone, Salome. And, and Matthew will focus on the Marys. The other Mary is the mother of James and Joseph we're told about in Matthew 27. But Mary Magdalene is the one we know most of. This woman was radically transformed and radically changed by the power of God. 
I want you to understand who Mary Magdalene is. We see her in Luke chapter 8, verse 2. Also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses. Mary, who was called Magdalene, from whom how many demons? Seven demons had gone out. This woman was a mess. Her life was controlled by the power of hell. And all of the sin and debauchery and sickness that came with it. Some of you know what that's like. When you just let yourself go. And you find yourself doing the sickest of sins and being involved in things you can't even believe you let yourself get into. That's where this lady is. More than likely used and abused and crazed living. And she's got more skeletons than you could count rattling around in her closet, people. Guess what? Jesus set her free. Jesus set her free. Of all of her sin, of all of her demons, of all of her sickness, guess what? Jesus can set you free. You're here today and you've got demons in your life and you know what they are. And you feed them regularly. You've got addictions. And you've got sin. And you've been used and you've been abused. And your life has been tumultuous in so many ways. You need to understand Jesus can set you free. He loves you. He will forgive you. He can save you. You need to understand this. It's not about being religious. It's about knowing this God who can save you. And so come to know this God and call on his name and let him save you. And let him forgive you. Christian, isn't it great that God can forgive of sins? Amen. And you need to know that if you're here today. You're among all kinds of rotten sinners. They're on the front row. Well, no, they're all over. (laughs) They're on the platform. And they're sitting in every seat around you. And God saved us. And he changed us. And he forgave us. And you need to know this. There is no life beyond the transforming power of God. There's no life beyond his touch. No one is without hope. So if you came in here and you think you're hopeless, you're wrong. He can forgive you, he can change you, and he can save you. Now, and this woman was incredibly grateful. We see in Luke 7, 38, that she's the one that was standing behind Jesus at his feet, weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with her hair and kissing his feet and anointing with perfume. Mary Magdalene never forgot all that Jesus did for her. Don't you dare forget all that Jesus has done for you. Always be grateful for all of the sin that he's forgiven you of. Always be grateful for how he's changed your life and saved you. If anything, come in here today as a reminder of gratitude to your Savior for what he has done for you. Now, these are women whose lives have been changed. And I just love these ladies. They are incredible women of courage. Thank you, ladies who love Jesus And you are women of courage. And you are an example to the men in this church. Thank you. These women are a great example, is what they are. They're women of courage. Why? Well, they come alone to a graveyard in the dark when they know there's Roman guards stationed there who are trained to torture and kill people. These are brave women. And by the way, they come without the men. Without the disciples. Why? Because they're a bunch of wimps. That's why. They're hiding behind locked doors, peering through windows, afraid for their lives. But not these women. 
And my guess is they've probably come even being discouraged to do so. You could just hear the disciples. Why risk it? He's dead. It doesn't matter. The tomb is sealed. The guards aren't going to open it for you. They come anyway. Regardless of the voices of any disciple and regardless of the voices uh, uh, in their heads. Why? Because their hearts drive them to serve the Savior. That's what I love about women of God. Your hearts drive you. This, This love for Jesus to serve him. Even when others say don't, you do. Even when your husband says, oh, it's not worth it, you serve him. Even when friends say, why do you do that? You serve him. You're an example. These women, great courage. These women have a deep devotion. I want you to get this. The Lord is dead. The one they put all their hopes in, their long-awaited Messiah, they've dedicated their lives to. All of their dreams have been dashed and destroyed. They're overwhelmed with sorrow. It doesn't make sense. They're overwhelmed with confusion. And yet they still love him, though they've lost him. And yet they still serve him, even when it doesn't make sense. Listen carefully to all that they teach us. You don't give up on God just because you don't understand God. You don't give up on your Savior just because you don't understand why he's allowed something in your life. And some of you are giving up. Why did God allow this? And this doesn't make any sense. And it's not fair. And I don't understand it. And you go on and on and on. And you're giving up on God. You're not God and neither am I. He's working a plan. And these ladies are still serving their God even though they don't understand what's going on in their life. So even when life doesn't make sense, you keep following him. And and even when life doesn't make sense, you keep serving him. And even when life doesn't make sense, you remain grateful to him. And when your life is turned upside down and your world is turned upside down, you keep trusting. And when you don't understand the whys and it seems unfair and cruel and unkind, you keep believing. And you don't let discouragement deplete your devotion. You don't let discouragement take away or destroy your devotion. The hunt for the true meaning of Easter... We find ourselves in a place of death and darkness. We meet the Easter Marys. And then, it gets more scary, we experience earthquakes and angels. Now, you need to understand, Easter has more to do with earthquakes and angels than eggs. It does. You you see in verse 2, there's a severe earthquake, and the angel of the Lord descends and rolls away the stone and sits on it, and his appearance is like lightning clothing as white as, as snow, and so we've got this Easter morning earthquake. It's, it's sudden. Behold, it's severe, is what it says. So talking minimum 7.0 on the Richter scale, you're, you're talking brick buildings damaged and monuments and walls falling and buildings being moved off their foundations, and please understand... This is the second earthquake in three days. It's the second earthquake in three days. The first one happened at the moment of Jesus' death in Matthew 27, 51. The veil of the temple is torn from top to bottom. The earth shakes and the rocks split. The second one happens right here when Jesus is raised. And I love how one commentary put it. One commentator. The ground quaked with pain when he died and shook with pleasure when he arose. So true, so good. So you've got an Easter morning earthquake, and you've got an Easter morning angel. Not bunny, an angel. 
This angel is a servant of God. He descends from heaven. And I don't think it took him very long. Ezekiel 1.14 tells us they're living beings that run to and fro like bolts of lightning. Shh. And he's there. Talk about rapid descent. He's got his APS all, all timed in. Not this GPS. He's got his angelic positioning system. And he's there, man. And what does he do when he gets there? He rolls away this stone. And you're talking a big, heavy stone. Most of them are about eight feet in diameter, one foot thick weighing up to two to four tons. That's 4,000 to 8,000 pounds. The average U.S. car is 4,000 pounds. So walk out in the parking lot, pick it up, and move it. That is what is taking place. All in defiance of the governor's imperial seal and the religious leader's commands, because God could care less about Roman religion when it comes to getting in the way of his will. The stone is rolled away not to let Jesus out. Jesus has already been raised and is gone. The stone is rolled away to let us in. To let the world see. And to let these ladies in. To, to build their faith and fill their hope and renew their joy. And then he just sits and he waits. Kind of looking at his watch. Ladies should be here anytime. And that's what he's doing. We're told about his clothing in verse 3. He's dressed to kill. At least that's what the guards think. His appearance is like lightning. His clothing is white as snow. And so, so he just glows. He, he moves like lightning. And he looks like lightning. Radiating in brilliance and shining a bright white. And we're told his, his clothing is like snow. Think of, think of the sun on the snow. Don't you wish it would snow today again? Yeah. Can you believe that blizzard last week? Just blo- Anyway. So he's shining. He's glowing. And now please get this. It's dark in a graveyard. It's already dark. And so all of a sudden in the darkness, boom, this light radiates bright out of nowhere. Talk about shock and awe. This is what we find as we hunt for the true meaning of Easter. Next, we see them shaking with sudden fear. Terror is what it is. The guards shook for fear of him, verse 4, become like dead men. The angel says to the women, do not be afraid. Listen carefully. Everyone is scared to death on Easter morning. Happy Easter. That's Easter. Everyone is scared to death on Easter morning. Happy Easter. The guards are shaking and freezing with fright. I mean, if you've ever, anybody ever had a lightning strike nearby them? Boom! That's what's going on here, but it's an angelic lightning strike in the dark. It's kind of like someone unexpectedly jumping out and scaring you. I love to do that. (laughs) Anybody else have that sadistic part to them? You love to jump out and scare people. It's so much fun. But anyway, this winged warrior being instantly appearing, lighting up the dark in a graveyard. And what happens? They shake. This is the same root word from the word for earthquake. And so as an earthquake is taking place, they're having their own personal earthquakes as well. And then it says they become like dead men. They freeze. They're traumatized. These are the Roman Marines, people. Okay? They don't fear anyone. They torture and kill people for a living. They're scared to death. Life is just draining out of them, and they can't move, and and we're told the women are afraid, and they should be. They're in a graveyard, In the dark, pagan Roman guards are on duty. 
not sympathetic toward Jesus and his followers by any means. The evil religious authorities roam around in packs of like wolves, condemning innocent people to death. Severe earthquakes, two in the last three days are taking place. Now you've got this angelic being just showing up, powerful display. It, it would be safe to say you and I would be on edge as well. And these ladies are on edge. And then the angel just speaks peace and he speaks calm. Notice he didn't tell the guards anything. He wants them good and afraid. But he speaks peace and calm to them. We hunt for the true meaning of Easter. And where does it take us? To look into an empty tomb. Say that with me. Look inside an empty tomb. In verse 1, they come to look at a grave. In verse 5, they're looking for Jesus who's been crucified. In verse 6, come and see the place where he was lying. They come looking for a body. A dead, mangled, bloodied, entombed body. That's what they came looking for. And guess what? The tomb is empty. The tomb is empty. The tomb is empty. Verse 6. He is not here, for he has risen just as he said. He's not here, ladies. He's risen. And he's risen indeed. His lifeless body breathed after three days being dead. His body moves. He lives. He walks. He talks. He's alive. I I love this picture. I don't know who the artist is. The first breath movement of the Savior inside a tomb. And by the way, he's coming back. And he will rule and reign. And you will see him with your own eyes. You will see the risen Savior one day with your own eyes. Revelation 1-7, behold, he is coming with the clouds. Say it with me. And every eye will see him. 1 John 3-2, beloved, we are now children of God and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because, say it with me, we will see him just as he is. You will see your Lord. The angel said, he said this all along, just as he said, and over and over again, he said it in Matthew 16, 21, he'll be killed and raised on the third day. And in chapter 17, they'll kill him, he'll be raised on the third day. And in chapter 20, the third day, he'll be raised up. And in chapter 26, after I've been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. I love this Bob Goff quote. Darkness fell, his friends scattered, hope seemed lost, but heaven just started counting to three. Oh, I love that. One two, three. And then he says this, come see the place where he was lying. I love this about God. He's not afraid of examining the evidence. A faith in Jesus Christ is not like the cults that hide things from you. True faith in Jesus Christ is open. Check it out. Examine the evidence. Come on in. Do your research. Study the facts. God is never afraid of the evidence of the resurrection. It only authenticates his claims every single solitary time. So you who are not believers in Jesus, have at it. Examine the evidence. Absolutely. I love Charles Colson's quote. He said, I know the resurrection is a fact and Watergate proved it to me. How? How? Because 12 men testified they'd seen Jesus raised from the dead, 
Then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Everyone was beaten, tortured, stoned, and put in prison. They would not have endured if that were not true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep alive for three weeks. You're telling me 12 apostles could keep alive for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. Why? Why is this resurrection so important, though? And this is a very important question. Why is the empty tomb so important for us? Isn't it enough that Jesus died for my sins? The payment was made. Why does he still need to be alive? I I, I don't understand that, you may say. Well, when Christ rose, all hope rose with him. What do I mean by that? Well, first, because he lives, I will live and I will be raised. Because he lives, you will live, believer in Jesus, and be raised. Understand the power and importance of this. John eleven twenty five. 25. Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he what? There is life after death because of the resurrection. There is no life after death if there's no resurrection. John 14, 19. Because I live, he said, you will also, or you will live also. 1 Corinthians 15. But now Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who are asleep. Those who sleep mean those who've died. First fruits mean he's the one that's gone before, leading the rest after. For since by a man death came, Adam, and by also came the resurrection, the dead from a man, that's Jesus. So because he lives, I will live and I will be raised. And because he lives, secondly, I am truly forgiven. I cannot be forgiven of my sins unless there is a living Savior. You cannot be forgiven of your sins unless you have a living Savior. The resurrection... Understand, 1 Corinthians 15, 17. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is what? It's worthless. Don't even bother coming to church. Don't even bother reading your Bible. Don't even bother praying if there's no living God. Your faith is worthless. You're a fool. That's what scripture tells us. And you're still in your sins. That's the worst part. We've never been set free. We've never been forgiven. See, the resurrection is the receipt that the payment was made. That's what the resurrection is, and that it's been fully accepted. I stand condemned before a holy God without the resurrection. I, I, I await judgment by a holy God if there is no resurrection. The resurrection says, Jesus's purchase for your salvation is fully accepted. That's what it means. Next, because he lives, heaven is my home. John 14, in my father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. If Jesus isn't alive, he certainly hasn't prepared a place for us. If I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again. He's not coming again if he's not alive. And he's going to receive you to himself, that where I am, there you may be also. The resurrection is vital. It's foundational to the faith of a believer. So this hunt for the true meaning of, for, of Easter, what do we learn next? Go and tell. Say that with me. Go and tell. Say that to the person next to you. Go and tell. In verse 7, they go quickly to tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead. And he's, he's, he's gone ahead uh, to Galilee, he, the angel tells him. And you're going you're gonna to see him. And behold, I've told you. In verse 8, they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and run and report to the disciples. And so what do we learn? You don't waste time with the greatest news of all time. You tell people. You don't waste time with the greatest news of all time. This world is filled with bad news, true? This world is filled with fake news, true? 
Let's fill this world with good news. Man, there's so much bad news. There's so much fake news. Everybody wants to talk about the bad news. Everybody wants to talk about the fake news. Let's talk about good news. Let's talk about Jesus and who he is. Let's share what he's done for us. Let, let's, let's talk. Let, let's tell people that he's died for them and tell people that they can be forgiven of their sins. And tell, This is Easter, people. No better day to tell people about Jesus than on Easter Sunday. So tell some people who he is and what he's done and that he's got a place reserved for them in heaven if they but receive that gift. And tell fellow believers. What? Notice who the angel tells the ladies to tell. Tell believers. Tell some Christian who's all down in the mouth about life. Who's so cynical and so bitter about so many things and whiny. Tell them the good news. They have a living Savior. And he's in control. Listen, I, I just love this. If anyone needed good news, it was the disciples, true? I, I mean, if I were God, I may have let them sweat it out a little bit more. <laughs> After all, they did deny and they did abandon me and they didn't even show up at the tomb. You notice, God's not like that. God doesn't hold any grudges. God, God doesn't, he's not cruel, he's not sadistic. He's full of grace. And he's full of mercy. Do you notice that he pursues them when they're not even pursuing him? You who are here as his followers and you've been away from God, you found yourself in sin you shouldn't be in, you need to understand God is pursuing you and that's what he's doing right now. Because he loves you. He knows you've failed, and he still loves you. He knows you've sinned, and he still loves you. Prodigal, this is a time to come back to your heavenly father. His arms are open. That's what this day means. It's time to come back to your God. And the good news is here for every single person here. We've all failed God at times, amen? True? Yes. And, and you know what? We can come back to him, the one who loves us more than anyone. And he knows our sin, and he still loves us, and he still wants to, to forgive us. Just come back to him. And he pursues us. Oh, and by the way, what a great lesson there. We're really good about burning bridges and wiping our hands and being done with people. Aren't you glad God didn't do that with you? Don't you dare do that with other people. Pursue other people. Talk to them. You may not have the same, the whole story. You just don't burn bridges. You pursue people. God's word actually says, pursue peace with all men. That's what he says. And that's what God does for us. He pursues us. The first Easter message is about failures needing encouragement. And hope for those who've been hopeless. What does he tell him to tell him? Tell him he's, he's going to see him soon. Tell him he's alive. He's made reservations for you in Galilee. I, I love this picture of the Last Supper by Leonardo da Vinci, but I love the captions better. Jesus, table for 26, please, Mater D. There's only 13, but we're all sitting on the same side. <laughs> Sometimes art just doesn't make any sense at all, people. I'm just saying. All right. 
He's going to meet him in Galilee. Why? Because it's a time to regather. It's a time to regroup. It's a time to be encouraged. And it's a time to be commissioned. And they take off with the message. And they go quickly. And I love this. The angel tells the Marys. The Marys tell the disciples. And the disciples tell the world. And the disciples have been telling the world ever since that very first Easter morning. When you tell somebody about Jesus and who he is, you enter into something that started Easter morning and has never, ever stopped. Tell people about the living Savior. And they go with mixed emotions, fear tempered with joy, and they run, and there is nobody that's going to stop them except one person. Which brings us to our final point. The hunt for the true meaning of Easter means we meet Jesus and we worship Jesus. Say that with me. Meet Jesus and worship Jesus. Easter morning and every Easter morning is about meeting Jesus and about worshiping Jesus. That's what this day is all about. Nothing else. It's about meeting Jesus. It's about worshiping Jesus. So today, meet with Jesus. And today, worship Jesus. And the women run into him, the one they witnessed being crucified. They watched his lifeless body hang on a cross. And he's there talking to them, conveying this friendliness and warmth of his greeting. And you may say, well, why the ladies? Out of all the people in the world that Jesus could have appeared to first, why the ladies? I believe it's because they're the only ones that bothered to get up early in the morning for God. I think it's because they're the only ones that bothered to serve their God. I I think it's because they overcame their fear out of their love for God. See, there's something about dedicated, devoted people who experience and see things that the rest of us don't. God takes note of you who are dedicated and you who are devoted. Even when you're confused about life, you're still devoted. Even when things don't seem to make sense from your perspective, you're still committed. God takes note of that. And I believe he blesses that. It also teaches me an important lesson. Oh, it's always uh, worth getting up early and coming to church. Amen. It's always worth getting up early and meeting with Jesus and worshiping Jesus on a Sunday. And not just on Easter. I want to challenge you and encourage you to start coming to church every Sunday. Because it's always worth meeting with Jesus and worshiping Jesus. So don't miss out. Start coming. They worship him. And this is what Easter morning is all about. So don't let the world distract you from worship. Don't let the world hide the true meaning of Easter. And their instantaneous response is to fall at his feet, take hold of him, and worship him. And I want to encourage you to do the same thing today at some point. I want you to get alone with God at some point today. Go in a walk-in closet, close the door. Go in a bedroom, close the door all by yourself. And I want to encourage you to get on your knees before your God. 
and take hold of his feet, so to speak, and just worship him. Thank him for who he is. Thank him for for forgiving you of your sin. Thank him for saving you. Thank him for being alive and for being real. And so at some point today, get away by yourself and get on your knees and meet with Jesus and worship Jesus. And then he uh, repeats the same words, don't be afraid. I I love this, you know why? Because there's nothing for you to fear in this life. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you fear nothing and you fear no one. Fear nothing, not graveyards, not earthquakes, fear no one. These religious people that would persecute, these guards that would kill. You as a believer need to be bold and confident and fear nothing and fear no one. You follow Jesus and he is alive. Serve the Lord. Serve his people is what Jesus says. Look look at this. Go and take word to my brethren to leave for Galilee. Do you know what one way you overcome your fear? Get busy for God. Get busy for God. There's time to worship him, but there's also time to serve him. You can only hold on to the feet of Jesus for so long. And there's too many Christians who are just worship, just worship oriented. I just want to worship. I just want to worship. Uh, it's time to start serving him too. It's time to get busy for God. You worship him and then you serve him. He's given you spiritual gifts. He's not left you here. It's not all about you to do nothing. So we worship and we serve we're not really celebrating Easter until we're worshiping and telling others and serving the risen Savior. And he says, go to my brethren. He could have called them a lot of things, those disciples, cowards, deserters, failures. He calls them brethren. Again, this is the grace of God. the, The resurrection brings restoration. In spite of your fear and your failures, he reaches out. He wants to restore you. In spite of your doubts and disobedience, He reaches out and wants to restore you. I want you to understand, prodigals, you who've been away from God, he's saying, come home. His arms are wide open. He's saying, I know your sin and I still love you. I know what you've done and I will forgive you. Easter is a time of renewal, is what it is. It's a time to start over. He says, meet me in Galilee. And that's where they first heard of him and came to him and received him and started serving him. And this is a fresh start. This is a new beginning that he's given them. And so today, it's not about an Easter service. God is saying, I want to give you a fresh start. I want you to have a new beginning. And he's calling you back to himself. My prayer is you'll respond to that call. Hunting for the true meaning of Easter. What have we learned? We visit a place of death and darkness. We meet the Easter Marys, not the bunnies. We experience earthquakes and angels and shake with sudden fear and look inside an empty tomb and we're told to go and tell and to meet with Jesus and to worship Jesus. If you've been prompted by this message and are in need of a new beginning or would like more information about Harvest New Beginnings, visit at harvest.church.